Chapter Twenty One of Unto Caesar by Baroness Auxey. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. Recording by Andrea. Chapter Twenty One. But truly, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. First Samuel twenty verse three. When the Caesar had finished speaking, and he fell swooning back in the arms of the prefect of Rome, the conspirators remained quite still, staring at one another, dumbfounded. Could any man at that moment have divined the secrets of the heart, and looked into the thoughts of all these men, what a medley of terror and of lust, of rage and of jealousy, would have been unfolded before his eyes? The plotters were like men who, falling to with axe and pick to demolish a building, had seen that same building collapse beneath their feet. They had sat quietly by all the day, watching the events, content that these would shape themselves in accordance with their will. Young Ascanes from time to time fingered the poniard which he had hidden under his tunic. Hortensius Martius gave free rein to his ardent admiration of Dea Flavia. Ancreus the Elder kept watch over every phase of the temper of the audience, its apathy, its excitement, its murmurs of dissatisfaction and cries of enthusiasm. Only Caius Nepus, white to the lips, sat in terror, lest the courage of the conspirators whom he had betrayed should fail them at the eleventh hour, and he, branded as a false informer, be left to encounter the fury of an almighty Caesar who had never been known to relent. The speech of Caligula had, of a truth, struck strangely upon his hearers, the men who had been willing to wait upon chance for the success of their plot now found that chance had waited upon them. The thought of treachery did not at first enter their minds. The freaks of the crazy emperor were as numerous and as varied as the grains of sand in the arena. That he should offer the hand of his kinswoman as a prize to a victor in the arena was not inconsistent with his perpetual desire for new sensations, his lust of tyrannical power, and his open contempt for all his fellow men. His allusions to his probable successor had seemed futile and of no account, and they all felt that they had wallowed so deeply in the mire of conspiracy together that it could not have served the purpose of any one of them to betray the others. The first moment of stupefaction had quickly passed away, and even before the Caesar had recovered consciousness, Hortensius Martius had risen to his feet. There had been no hesitation in him from the first, whilst the others pondered, Vaguely frightened at this turn given by chance to her wheel, he was ready to stake his life for the possession of Dea Flavia and of the Imperium. His passion for the beautiful woman would have led him into far wilder extravagances and into far graver dangers than an encounter in a public arena with a wild beast and the momentary degradation of offering his patrician person as a spectacle for the plebes. And because of this sudden decision, taken boldly whilst others wavered, he became tacitly the leader of the gang of plotters. When he jumped to his feet, ready to descend into the arena, he seemed to challenge them to keep their oath of allegiance to him, who would succeed in winning Dea Flavia for wife. Hortensius Martius had proved himself to be a true opportunist, for he had seized his opportunity just at the right moment when the others hesitated. Thus are leaders made, one bold movement whilst others sit still, one step forward whilst the others wait. "'Thy chance, O Hortensius Martius,' whispered Marcus Ancreus the Elder, close to the young man's ear. 
Ascanese and the rest of us will be ready when the time comes, mayhap before thou dost return to us from below. Ascanese's hand beneath his tunic closed upon the dagger. Stronger and taller than Hortensius, he had not this sudden initiative of the brain. He was one of those men who would always be second to a bolder, a more resourceful leader. Forty pairs of eyes encouraged Hortensius Martius as he rose. In their minds they had already crowned him with laurels. For the moment they had accepted him as their future emperor and were prepared to acclaim him as Caesar when Escanes had done his work. It was at this moment that Caligula recovered from his swoon. His lust of revenge and of hate brought him back to reality. He had planned to make the arch-traitor betray himself, and now, when he caught sight of Hortensius Martius preparing to descend into the arena, a cry as of some prowling savage beast rose and died in his throat. He was sufficiently cunning to control himself, sufficiently of an actor to play his part without betraying his thoughts. Though he would gladly have strangled Hortensius then and there with his own hands, he called the young man to him with kindly benevolence, and placed a fatherly hand upon his shoulder. "'Thou, O Hortensius Martius,' he said, in well-feigned astonishment. "'Even I, O Caesar,' replied Hortensius calmly. "'For the love of the Augusta thou wouldst risk thy life. "'To prove my valour, gracious lord, since thou didst desire it. "'On thy knees, then, O my son,' rejoined the mountebank solemnly, "'and receive the blessing of the gods.' The public watched this little scene with palpitating interest. The Caesar looked magnificent in his fantastic robes, and beside him Dea Flavia, like a goddess in her white tunic, was beautiful to behold. The Caesar laid three fingers on the young man's head, and turned his bloodshot eyes up to the vault of heaven. Then Hortensius Martius rose from his knees, and went up to the Augusta Dea Flavia, and knelt down before her. She took no heed of him whatever. She did not look upon his bowed head as he stooped very low and kissed the hem of her gown. Some who watched the scene very closely declared afterwards that she snatched her robe away from his hands. And from the arena down below was heard again the snarl of the sorted beast. From the emperor's tribune to right and left, wide marble steps led down to the floor of the arena. At the bottom of these steps, huge iron gates wrought with gold and studded with nails, guarded them against access from below. Two legionaries were stationed at these gates. When Hortensius Martius appeared at the top of the steps, the audience screamed with delight and cheered him to the echoes. He was indeed a figure like to please the most hardened spectator. Not over tall and slight of build, he looked elegant and graceful in his short white tunic, with the deep purple bands that proclaimed his patrician rank. A young exquisite, with well-groomed hands and hair delicately perfumed and curled, the tense expression of his face gave him nevertheless an air of determination and of strength. He had taken off his cloak and was winding it round his left arm, otherwise, of course, he was unarmed as the emperor had directed. The women blew him kisses across the width of the arena, and some of the more enthusiastic, or the younger ones, pelted him with roses as he came down the steps, and down below the panther, as if scenting this new prey, sent a roar of expectation into the vibrating air. Caligula smiled with hideous complacency 
as he looked down on the descending figure of the young man, and when the people cheered, and the shower of roses fell in a blood-red mass at Hortensius's feet, the Caesar snarled even as the panther had done, showing a row of yellow teeth like fangs. At last Hortensius Martius had reached the foot of the steps. The massive iron gates stood alone between him and the black panther, which cowered some twenty feet away behind a low monticule covered with tufts of grass, its tiny eyes of topaz fixed upon the oncoming prey. Hortensius gave the order for the opening of the gates. They swung upon the hinges, and he passed out through them, and they fell to behind him with a mighty clang. Thunderous applause greeted him when he set his foot upon the sands of the arena. The panther did not move. It had even ceased to snarl, but its sinewy tail beat a dull tattoo upon the ground. Then, over the whole arena, there rose a curious sound, like the sighing of two hundred thousand souls, an indrawing of the breath in two hundred thousand throats. Hortensius Martius looked up, for the sigh had sounded very strangely in his ear, and it had been followed by a still stranger silence, as if two hundred thousand hearts had momentarily ceased to beat. And, as he looked, he understood the sigh, and also the death-like silence that followed. He saw that from the niches all round the arena the safety ladders of crimson silk had all been taken away, and up in the imperial tribune the mighty Caesar laughed loudly and long. End of chapter 21